ready for God's Word? Are you ready for it? Open your Bibles, if you would, to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have the verses on the screen so you can follow along with us as we read. We'll look at probably three different passages today. I'm going to move quickly, and this is one of those days when I'm going to share a pastoral message. I really want to talk to the church today. Whoever is here today, wherever you've come from, maybe it's your first time or second time here, maybe you're still trying to figure out, God, what he's about and what his intentions are for your life. Most Sunday mornings, I preach a message that speaks to newer believers, speaks to people who are seeking for God. It speaks to people who've been walking with God for a while. Today, I really want to focus more on believers. And if you're a visitor today and you're looking for God, I'll talk a little bit in here about God and you'll, you'll relate to it. But God's put something in my heart that I need to share as a pastor today. And I need to speak to this church. And I ask you today to do something with me. I ask you to listen with spiritual ears. Lay aside your opinions for a few minutes. Let's just look at God's word and talk about some things that are really important. Before we begin, let's pray. Father, thank you for amazing people that call this church home. Thank you for guests who are here today because they're looking for you. Father, I just pray the next few minutes you would grab our attention and you would help us to look forward, not backward. You would help us to see the world through your word and through the eyes of Scripture and not through our own preferences and human flesh and opinions. Just let us lay aside things that don't matter and let us hear from you today. We want to sit at your feet and learn. So, Father, as you've stirred my heart the past several weeks, stir our hearts today in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the last several weeks and months, I've heard a lot of people say, man, there's a lot of fear in our nation today. Anybody heard that? Boy, there is a lot of fear in our nation today. Last Sunday morning, I heard it a couple times from different people. There's a lot of fear in our nation today. And, and I hear that too. But flipping it over for a moment, as God's people, my question is, fear about what? Fear about what? Now, I don't mean to be super spiritual or, or not trying to be funny, but I'm going to tell you something. I've read the end of the book, and I'm going to tell you something. There's nothing to be afraid about. God's on the throne today, and he knows what he's doing. And even though things may not be going the way I think it ought to go, it doesn't phase God. And I've, I've kind of got a picture the last few days that some people think God's sitting on the throne wringing his hands looking at the sun looking at the Holy Spirit saying what are we going to do can I tell you God's not all that shook up about what's going on today scripture says he knows the end from the beginning before he ever started he already had it all figured out there's nothing to be afraid of God's sitting in heaven and he's got this whole thing in his hands today and regardless of what's going on around us that we don't like we need to know God still ruling as a matter of fact let me go one step beyond this is a little bit of gary martin in here but god is able to sort out all the mess that these political contenders are creating and he's able to lead us into a better future read the end of the book god wins we win it's going to be okay and i love america i love america i was counting up i think last night or this morning i think i've been in 15 nations other than america haven't seen all the world, but I've, I've been a few places. Every place I've ever been, when you sit down and talk to no ordinary, everyday people, people say, I wish I could come to America. 
spite of what you might hear from a handful of people here and there in the press today in different places, people still love America. This is the greatest nation on the face of the earth. It is. But all of this, as a matter of fact, if you don't think it is, tell me what's better, okay? Here's the thing. Of all this election confusion that's going on, in the middle of all of this, I've become more aware than ever of what Paul talked about in Philippians chapter 3. I'm an American here, but in the big picture, I'm a citizen of heaven. And I've got a destination, I've got a citizenship that goes beyond this nation, that goes beyond this earth. And regardless of what might be going on in the nation I was born in and I live in and I love and I'm proud of, I'm still very much aware that eternally my citizenship is in heaven. So I trust the king of heaven to lead me through all the things that are going on here. But you know, as followers of Christ, we have to learn how to view every issue of life through the eyes of Scripture. Every issue. That's why God gave us his word, not just to guide us, but so that we could see the world and we could see every issue of life all the way back home in the privacy of my family, all the way out to the ends of the earth. We need to see the world through the eyes of God's word. And we need to understand it thusly. That includes politics and elections. And today, some people say, oh, boy, he's going to get into politics. I'm not going to get into politics today. I'm going to talk to you about God's word. Okay? Let me give you an example of this. In Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus made a statement. He said, you are the salt of the earth. Talking to believers, followers of God. We are the salt of the earth. And he also said, you are the light of the world. Now, let me talk about these two things real quickly. The thing about salt is there are three things that stand out in my mind. Salt enhances the flavor of things. Some of you have forgotten about that because your doctor told you to quit eating salt, okay? But I'm going to tell you something. I'm still eating salt even though I'm borderline. The doctor said you need to start watching it. I'm still believing until the bad report comes out. Salt is good, okay? It enhances the flavor of everything, even red meat. It enhances the flavor of everything. It makes things taste better and taste different. Well, we the church need to make the world a better place. The fragrance, the flavor of the world is a better world because we are here in it walking with Jesus. Another thing about salt is salt also makes you thirsty. So if we're in the world, among the world, our lives should make people thirsty to find out where's this savor and this salt coming from. And we should be able to point people to Jesus through the lives that we live. And we can only do that if we're seeing the world through the eyes of Scripture. But then also understand that salt is a preservative. We, the church, to a great extent, are what's holding things together on this planet. And we need to understand the responsibilities to preserve what's going on around us. We're not supposed to be like everybody else. We're supposed to think differently, have our minds renewed by the word of God to see the world differently. And then Jesus also said, you're the light of the world. You know, light's really simple. What does light do? Light invades darkness and it exposes things that have been hidden. So we bring light to the dark things of the world. That's what we're supposed to be in the earth. Solomon in Proverbs 14, 34, the wisest man who ever lived before Jesus came, said, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. 
God needs us to be salt and light in the earth and in our nation today to show the way, to show the light to people around us. Luke chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus talked about authority and responsibility. What Jesus basically said was, you can't have blessing and privilege and authority without caring responsibility. For those of you who think authority just means I'm in power, no, authority means I'm accountable for the power that I have. Authority makes us accountable. And here's the thing. Jesus said in, in Luke 12, 48, for everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. In other words, everything God places in my hands, he wants me to be accountable for it. Because I give an account to him for how I steward my life, how I steward my family, how I steward church life, how I steward my job, how I steward life with my neighbors, how I steward my civic responsibilities as a citizen, even how I'm involved in politics and how I vote. I'm going to answer to God for all of it. This is good preaching today. <laughs> Turn to somebody and say, this is the best message I've heard in months. Somebody said, nah, I ain't lying in church. No, we're not to the end yet. But here's what Jesus went on to say. Jesus went on to say, and to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. We're responsible for what God's given us. Now look at Romans chapter 13. I want to talk for a few minutes about scripture and government. Romans 13 verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good works but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Then do what is good. And you will have praise from the same, from the authority. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Keep reading, verse 5. Therefore you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. See, two things here. Wrath, the wrath of the authority, and for conscience sake before God. We're subjected. Verse 6, for because of this, you also pay taxes. Everybody say, hallelujah. Love to pay my taxes. Because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. And finally, verse 7, render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. If you read in, in Scripture, what we read here in Romans that Paul wrote, Timothy wrote about this. Some of the other apostles wrote. And there's some things that we find about government from God's perspective. Let me talk about it real quickly. We're to be in subjection to governing authorities because law, authority, and structure is God's idea. Did you know law is God's idea? Let me see your hands. How many knew that? See, Monty, I know you're, you're guest with us today. Um, we're not the shouting church. We're the bobblehead church. People just nod their heads, okay? Yeah, I, I know, I know. We need law. It's God's idea. Government leaders are empowered by God to enforce what is right. Everybody say right. right. Not to enforce wrong, to enforce what is right. 
Not only that, we should not have to live in fear if we obey the law. Somebody saying, man, I can't believe you're talking about this. Well, I can't believe the Bible talks about this stuff, but it does. So it might be a good idea for us to know what God says about it. Evil people should fear governmental authorities. Did you know God placed government there to keep law, to deal with people who don't observe the law? Let's move forward. Some of you didn't know that. Um, we should pay taxes to support the work of government. You know, I, I pray about this a lot. Every time I have to pay tax, I pray about this. And I made a purchase yesterday, and it was a fairly sizable purchase. And I thought, well, that's not too bad. The, that, that price is fair. And then they added the tax on and I thought, well, that's not fair. <laughs> but I paid it anyway. We should honor, also honor our leaders as the authority that God has put in place. Because authority in law is God's idea. To be Christian citizens, these things need to be embedded in our hearts as we look at government. Now, in 1 Timothy 2, here's what Timothy said about this subject. He said we should pray for our leaders. Not just the ones you like, the ones you don't like. He said, well, how, how, how should I pray? Well, pray they get saved to start with. Well, our leaders are so bad. Well, pray they get saved and God changes their heart. And by the way, be careful what you say about leaders because you don't know their heart. Okay? We should be praying for our leaders, plural. Here's why. Here's what he says. Pray for our leaders so our nation maintains an atmosphere where we can live quiet, peaceable, godly, honest lives. Now listen real close to this. Do you know why God ordains governments? Do you know why God ordains authority? So that we can live quiet, peaceable, godly, honest lives. Now let me, let me share a couple of observations regarding Christian life. Scripture tells us that God wants us to trust him to be our source in life. How many of you believe that? How many of you believe God wants, us, God wants to be our source and God wants us to trust him? Do you believe that? Give me a bobblehead this morning. He wants us to trust him to be our source, not the government. Now, that doesn't mean, I'm, well, you know, Pastor Gary said, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. Uh -uh. I didn't say we shouldn't allow the government to help us in times of need. But God ultimately wants to be our source. He doesn't want us to make government our source and put our confidence and our faith in the systems of man. A second thing, God never intended for the government to determine righteousness and morality. Righteousness and morality comes from God's word, not from the government. Not even educational systems. Righteousness and morality is established by God's word. Now, let me, let me talk about this a minute. Uh, how many of you love the story of Daniel in the lion's den? You love that story? How many of you love the story of the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, getting thrown in the fiery furnace? You love those? Do you, do you like the story? We talked about this a few weeks ago, about Elijah running from Ahab and going into hiding and then calling down fire. How many of you like those kind of stories? They're cool. But did you know that every one of those stories came about because somebody stood up to an ungodly authority and said, this is not right? You know why Daniel got thrown in the lion's den? Because he told the king, I'm going to pray. I don't care what you say. You say, I can't pray. I'm going to pray anyway. And he prayed. 
And they got thrown in the lion's den. See, we forget the first part of the story. Do you know why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got thrown in the furnace? It's because they told the king, we're not going to bow down to your image. Elijah told Ahab, it's not going to rain till I say so. And Ahab got furious, but he confronted Ahab because of the idol worship he'd brought into the land. You say, well, why are you saying all this? That's not to say that God is saying when government goes in an ungodly direction, we become ungodly with them. It's not what he's saying. Government's responsibility in the eyes of God is to create an atmosphere where we can live peaceable, godly, honest, truthful lives. That's God's intent. Now, let, let me give you a quote. This is not scripture, but this is so right on, I believe we need to hear it. We hear it almost every generation from somebody in different words. Martin Luther King Jr., how many have ever heard of him? You ever heard of him? Martin Luther King Jr. said, The church must be reminded it is not the master of the state nor the servant of the state, but rather it is the conscience of the state. It is our responsibility to remind government, uh, 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 you're, you're getting off track here, that's immoral in the sight of God. That's the church's responsibility. And he went on to say this. He said, it must be the guide and the critic of the state and never its tool. You say, well, that's not in the Bible. Okay. But read scripture. It's pretty close. It's pretty close. You say, why do you say that today? Because in recent years, I have a strong conviction that our nation has begun to, go, begun to go in a very bad direction because the church has kept silent and we've allowed government to say, here's what morality is. God's word gives us morality, not the government. We are the conscience of a nation. We need to make sure that government knows what is right and what is wrong. We've already given up the battle in a couple of situations. It's going to change the course of our nation because the church has been silent. But there's one fact. Somebody said, boy, hurry up and get moving. Okay. But there's one fact that should concern all of us. Look at Matthew chapter 12. We have become a divided nation. We have become a very divided nation. Now, I want to talk about that for a minute. Matthew chapter 12. These are the words of Jesus in verse 25. Matthew 12, 25, Jesus says, or it says, But Jesus knew their thoughts, and he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. I think it was Ann that, that mentioned a few weeks ago on a Sunday morning, sharing that where there is unity, God commands a blessing. But when a house is divided, it's headed for destruction. Now skip down to verse 30, same chapter, verse 30. Jesus said, he who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Now let me, let me give you a picture of this. I'm not going to dive into politics today, but I'm going to talk about our nation and where we're at as a nation for just a couple minutes here. In my lifetime, Monty and I are about the same age. Several of you are my age, some are older, some are younger. In my lifetime, there are two topics 
that politicians have kicked around and kicked around and kicked around my whole adult life and done nothing about. One of them is Social Security. Now, some of you don't care because, well, it's, it'll, there'll be money there until I'm dead and gone. Okay, that's fine. But you know what? Politicians have been talking about talking. Everybody say talking. Been talking about Social Security for 40 years and have done nothing about fixing the problem we're headed for with Social Security. You know why that is? It's because they use the subject to divide people in our nation for voting blocks. Can I give you another one? Immigration. Immigration isn't a new problem. We've been talking about this for 40 years. But the politicians know my voters will stay with me if we don't solve this problem. If we change the laws and solve this problem, then I might lose a voting block. We become pawns of their legislation or lack thereof. That's just two illustrations. Now, having said that, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed at our presidential campaigns. I'm embarrassed. Anybody besides me embarrassed? I'm embarrassed. Uh, I mean, hatefulness. What people have said. Nasty, personal attacks, scandals, FBI investigations. And in the middle of all of this, all the issues have been set aside. And we're not even talking about the issues that are facing our nation. All we're talking about are people and how horrible they are. Before I get into all this, can I, can I just be pastoral in a bigger voice. If you like this today, buy a copy of it and send it to our politicians. If you don't like it, then just ignore me, okay? But I got two thoughts for our politicians. Local, state, national. Two thoughts. Number one, stop the spin and just tell us the truth. I'm so sick of lies. Anybody besides me? I'm so sick of having to listen to this news agency and this, then this news agency and try to figure out who's telling the truth and where the truth lies. Politicians, just tell us the truth. We're not stupid. We can sort it out for ourselves. We're, as a matter of fact, we're probably smarter than you, politicians. Just tell us the truth, and then we can sort it out for ourselves. Stop the spin. I mean, and I'm not taking sides in this, but, you know, one of our politicians recently was found out to make the quote and said, well, Publicly, I say this, but privately, I believe this. That's what you call spin. Here's the second part of this. Stop the name-calling. We need to write to our politicians, call their offices and say, stop the name-calling. You're talking about fellow Americans. Stop trying to divide us and stop the name-calling. What do you mean? Just because I disagree with somebody doesn't make me a homophobe. Just because I'm of a different religion doesn't make me an Islamophobe. Just because we don't agree about religious issues doesn't make me a religious bigot. I need to calm down here. <laughs> Just because I disagree with you doesn't make me a sexist. Just because I disagree about something doesn't make me a racist. And just, and just because I don't agree with your candidate doesn't make me in the basket of deplorables. I mean, no, 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 wait, wait, no, wait, wait, wait. All the name calling needs to stop because all it's doing is dividing us as a people. 
I don't want to pick up on their hatred. I, I couldn't even watch the debates. My wife said, let's watch. I couldn't watch it because I, all we do is nah, 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 nah. And they got so nasty and so hateful. Politicians, stop the name calling. Um, just reminder, politicians, uh, you exist and work for us. We don't exist and work for you. You work for us, just so you know. And then for the press, for the press, just report the facts and let us decide for ourselves. Stop the commentary and the spinning and stop painting and all of them. Stop passing questions to candidates in advance so they know what's coming in debates. Just tell the truth and let us sort it out and vote for ourselves. We don't need your propaganda and your editorials. We're pretty smart people. We know what we need to vote for. So just, just lay it out there. And then for political parties, a couple things. Number one, stop trying to turn us against each other. We're not enemies. We're not enemies. We're neighbors. We're fellow Americans. We can sort things out. I mean, the Democrats are over here, the Republicans are over here, and they refuse to talk to each other and solve problems. And they want us to be like them. I don't want to be like them. I want to get along. So political parties, stop trying to divide us. We're not enemies. And I'm going to throw one last thing in. And can I, can I ask a favor of everybody? Please, the rest of this message, if you want to amen, that's fine. But let's make sure we don't do anything that people think, well, I know what they think. But I'm going to tell you something. To political parties, there's something I've been waiting to say for months. Nobody will listen to me, so I'll tell you because maybe they'll listen to you. <laughs> Stop the race baiting. Stop it. Look around this room today. Red and yellow, black and white. We're precious in his sight. I had somebody recently talk to me and said, when are you going to talk about all the racial problems in our land? You know what I told him? I said, come to church on Sunday and look around the room. This is not the problem. We're not the problem. We're not the problem. The church is the answer, not the problem. I've been your pastor for eight years, and I've never had anybody get into an argument about race here that I know of. I'm honored. I, I told this person, I said, you know what? The reason I don't talk about it is because we're not the problem. The problem's out there. The biggest problem is political parties. Stop dividing us with race. I'm so tired of politicians using serious problems in our country as race bait to create distrust and division among us and between us. It needs to stop. And before I get into my message, <laughs> I'm almost through the introduction. No, I'm not. I'm, 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 I'm getting near. Can I give you a sad commentary? This is sad. This breaks my heart. This past year in the election cycles, I've come to realize that a person with my biblical views could never be elected to a major office in our nation or even in our state. If that doesn't shake Christians up, I don't know what will. If you believe the Bible and you declare you believe what the Bible says, you will never be elected to major office in our nation, our state right now. It won't happen. You will be attacked and beat into the ground. You will be assassinated from every angle. 
That's sad. That's sad. Now, some of you didn't know this. Now we're going to get to the fun part. Some of you didn't know this. Did you know there are five presidential candidates on the California ballot? Some of you thought there were two. There are five. You know what I think? If we're held accountable for the blessing God's put in our hands, we need to take elections seriously. We need to know what we're voting for before we vote. There are five candidates on the ballot in California. But let's, let's come down to where most of us live. According to many polls, the two frontrunners in the presidential race are the most unpopular candidates in our history. Has anybody, has anybody beside me sat down recently and scratched your head and said, wait a minute, these are the two best in America? Is anybody besides me? You know what? I've got 50 friends that make better presidents than either one of them. How did this happen? There are people in this house, you'd make a, you're, you've got more wisdom and more common sense than, than either one of them. I'm thinking, how in the world? Wait a minute, these are our two choices? I'm being honest today. I'm scratching my head. Now, I've got a quote I heard from a pastor at a conference a few days ago. It's a great quote. Uh, let's get on the screen because I want you to see this. I think we've got it. Here we go. Listening to the Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump debates reminds me of two parents going through a divorce and they're fighting over custody of us. <laughs> Isn't that good? That's good. But here's the rest of it. But we just want to go live with Grandma. <laughs> That's the best I've heard. I vote for Grandma. I vote for Grandma. So let me ask you today. Who are you voting for? Don't, don't anybody make a noise. <laughs> Quietly. No, and I'm not running, so don't write my name in, okay? <laughs> Who are you voting for? That's the wrong question. We're at a place in American history where the question is no longer who are you voting for. Because media makes this about how do you look, how do you sound, how can we dress you up, who are your friends? Have you looked at the lives of celebrities? Do you really want them telling you, how you who you should be voting for? Just, just a question. Um, the question is not who are you voting for? The question is what are you voting for? That's the question. Most Americans right now are saying, well, I'm going to have to hold my nose when I vote this time. Not if, you're, if you look beyond the person and look at what they stand for. Because Scripture gives us some pretty good guidance. What are the policies that they say they want to enforce? What is the platform of their political party? The platform is what they stand on, and they say, this is what we're going to do in the future. What are their platforms? Let me, can I ask a few questions today real fast? I'm almost finished. Let me ask a few questions. Have you read or compared a synopsis of each party platform? Do you know what all the parties want to do? Well, if, if you haven't read them, then how do you know who you're going to vote for? How about this one? What do you believe about morality? What does your candidate and your candidate's party believe about morality? What do you believe about the sanctity of human life? 
What, is, what does your party believe about the sanctity of human life? Just the fact that God's able to say, I knew you before you were ever in your mother's womb needs to make us stop and think. We need to stop and think about this. What do you believe about marriage? What does the Bible say about marriage? Oh, now you're getting into politics. No, I'm not. God was pretty simple. He said, you know, you get one man and one woman, the two of them become one flesh, husband and wife. God, we may be confused about it, but God was never confused. What do you believe about marriage? What does your candidate and your party believe about that? What do you believe about gender identity? Yeah, now you are getting into politics. Well, let me tell you what the Bible says. God says, I made them male and female. I heard the other day, was it, so one of the social media things, when you check in on social media, you have nine different designations you can choose from. We may be confused, but God's not. What does your candidate and your party believe about that? Here's a good one. What do you believe about the national debt? Well, you're really into politics now. Well, let me, let me get you going here. Proverbs 22, 7 says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Some of you already knew that. Some of you all have been serving Visa for 17 years. <clears throat> Listen to this. U.S. population is what? About 325 million. And approximately 37% of the people are now employed. How much is our national debt? This is old. This is from Tuesday. It's gone up $3 billion since then. Get this. Our national debt is, is almost $20 trillion. Well, it's the government. It's a big government. Okay, let me break it down for you. How much debt does every American owe? $61,000. If all of us would give $61,000, our nation can be out of debt. How many are ready to write the check today? Well, write your tithe check before you send that in, okay? <clears throat> Does that, does that concern anybody? Listen to this. You think that's scary. 61000 per person? It's $166,000 per taxpayer. Working taxpayers. $166,000. A third, a third of our national debt is owed to foreign entities. Borrower is servant to the lender. We need to think about this. Let me ask you this. What do you believe about socialism? What does your candidate and your party believe about that? What do you believe about our Constitution? Do you believe it's a good Constitution or do you believe it needs to be rewritten? Does it need to be reinterpreted or has it always made sense for 200 plus years? What does your candidate and your party think about that? What do you believe should be the criteria for federal judges and the Supreme Court? Do you believe they should reinterpret the Constitution or enforce the Constitution? Well, what does your party and your candidate think about that? What do you believe about terrorism and national defense? What does your party think about that? What does your candidate think? What do you believe about law, order, and punishment? You know, the Bible says the last days, there'll be a spirit of lawlessness that sweeps the earth. We've already got a nation where we have people in our nation who are above the law. Does that matter to any of us? How about this? Who do you believe should be our allies? 
Well, what difference does that make? Well, Proverbs is full of Proverbs, sayings about your friends. The translation is, you show me your friends, I'll tell you what your future is. Proverbs tells us who not to be running with. Who do you want our nation running with? Well, what does your candidate and your party think about that? How about this one? Have you read the state propositions on the ballot? Well, now you are getting political. Okay, I'm going to get political for a minute here. Let me tell you how smart we are in this state. We're so smart in this state that we have a proposition on the ballot that talks about pornography. Did you, have you read it? The question is not, should we have pornography? The question is, should people shooting pornographic films wear condoms? That's how smart we are today. We'll accept the sin, but let's make it safe sin. And let's teach our children. How about this one? What do you think about legalizing marijuana? Well, the Bible doesn't talk about that. Has anybody driven our freeways lately? Oh, dude. Just as long as they stay... As long as they stay in the slow lane, we'll be all right. <laughs> oh, just chill, Mr. Officer. Dude, relax. <laughs> How many are ready for me to finish this message? All right, I'm down to the last part. That's all the comedy I got. I hadn't thought about that, you know. We live in the most amazing nation on the face of the earth. We do. Because we choose our future. That's what makes this nation so amazing. We, the people, choose our future. We vote. I've got something in my hand that is precious. You know what this is? It's my ballot. Ann and I get absentee ballots because one year we had an emergency that called us out of state and we were unable to vote. Felt horrible about it. So we get absentee ballots. I'll drop it off on Tuesday at the, at the ballot box. This is precious. How many of you believe we should be praying for our nation? See, most of us... Most of us are simply praying for our candidate to win, and we've missed the point. We've missed the point. I got an email a few days ago, and I know some of you will think this makes me really unspiritual. Maybe it does. I don't know. But I, I want you to hear how human I am. I got an email a few days ago from a pastor who invited me to a prayer meeting at his church because we're going to pray for the election. Well, I know what his politics are. I know what he's praying for. And so I thought, you know, I can do that from my office. I don't need to do that there. But here was my thought. Every American believer, every Christian needs to understand that this needs to line up with my, with my prayer that I'm praying. It's stupidity to pray for one thing and vote for the opposite. Stupidity. And, and pardon me. I told you it's a pastoral message, okay? So it makes no sense to pray for godliness and righteousness and vote for ungodliness. And all. Well, none of these candidates are righteous. I'm not talking about candidates. I'm talking about what they stand for. We need to be thinking about this. We need to be praying about this. 
This is my ballot. It's got my name right there, Gary Lynn Martin. Lynn with two N's. Gary Lynn Martin, this is my ballot. But you know what? This is more than my ballot. This is my prayer for the future of our nation. This is my prayer. And I didn't go to the prayer meeting. You know why? Because this is my prayer right here. This is my prayer right here. Are you voting this week? It, it's not who are you voting for. It's what are you voting for? What are you voting for? I'm going to close with this. Familiar verse of Scripture. It's addressed to Old Testament Israel. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. I want you to read it with me. Let's read it right out loud. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Some people say, well, that's God talking to Israel. I believe that's the heart of God for every nation. If my people, the church, if we'd humble ourselves and pray, but it doesn't just say pray. It says seek my face. Find out what's in God's heart and turn from our wicked ways. Then he said he would hear from heaven. He would forgive us and heal our land. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray vote. Vote what they're praying for. God said, I'll respond. I want to pray for you today. Can, can I just pray? Let me, let me bow your heads. I want to pray. Father, People can walk out of here today with whatever opinion they want to walk out with. I can't control that. We've not endorsed a candidate or a party. We've looked at several issues from the Word of God. Father, I want to pray for righteousness in my land, and my vote is my prayer. God, deal with our hearts. Before we go to the polls, before we finish filling out our ballot, God, challenge our hearts to know what our candidates and our parties say they're going to do with our nation because we're casting a vote for our future. We're praying for our future with this vote. God, just bring us to a sober moment where we can set personalities aside. God, forgive me. Forgive my heart. Help me because I don't like either one of these major candidates. God, help my heart to love them. I have a hard time with them. God, help me to cast a vote for righteousness in our land. Let us be your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Heads are still bowed for just a moment, please. One more moment. I know this has been a different message today, but maybe as you've sat here today, maybe something inside of you has just kind of grabbed your heart and you're realizing, man, this, this God thing is real. There is a God. I, there's something real about what's being said here today. Very good possibility if you don't know God, God by his spirit is just knocking on the door of your heart saying, I love you, I care for you. I want to bring you into relationship with me. Maybe as you sit there, you think, you know, I believe. I believe there's a God. I've never known him, never committed my life to him, but I believe there's a God. Let me tell you about this God. God loves you so much that he looked at all the sin and the failure that separated you from him. 
And he said, I'll send my son to die for your failures so you don't have to die for your own sins. I'll send my son to die for you. He raised him from the dead because he accepted his death and sacrifice for us. Then Jesus ascended back to the Father. And now God says to you and to me, I'll forgive your sins if you'll just say, yes, I believe. He extends grace, but we have to accept it in faith. Maybe right now, right now where you're seated, maybe your heart is saying, yes, I believe. I want to lead you in a prayer. The way we accept God's grace through words. Say, yes, God, I'm in. I believe. I want to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to ask everybody here in the house, repeat this prayer right out loud with me. You don't have to yell it and scream it, but everybody here, let's repeat this prayer. Say, God, I need you. And I want you in my life. So I open my heart to you. Please forgive me of all my sins. I believe Jesus is the Son of God who died for my sins and was raised from the dead. I trust Jesus to be my Savior. And I ask Jesus to become the Lord of my life. I give my life back to you. From this moment forward, you are my God. You are my Father. And I am your child. Thank you for receiving me. Can we just welcome people into God's family today? What we do here at the bridge is very simple. You've just opened the door. This is not the beginning of your journey. It's just the beginning of your journey with God. We've got a little booklet called The Next Seven Days. It's just simple reading, short devotional for each of the next seven days to get you started walking with God. We want to give this to you. We feel like it's our responsibility. Please let us give this to you. When service is over, there'll be prayer teams at the front of the building. If you just walk down here and say, hey, can I get one of the booklets? They'll give it to you there. If you want to visit, great. If you just want to get it and go, that's fine. If you want prayer for something else, they're here to help you. If you're in a really big rush, you can go to the Connection Center out in the lobby, ask for the booklet. They'll give it to you. There are no strings attached. We simply want to help you get started walking with God. We want to welcome you.